Thanks for pressing play. This is Christopher Lockhead, Follow Your Different. And of course, to state the obvious, we are living at an extraordinary time. So we're going to continue to do everything we can to provide you with very different conversations, dialogues that we hope uh, that you find stuffed with inspiration and information and some humor. In our effort to help uh, do our part to, if you will, podcast through the problem. <laughs> and uh, today, we have a very uh, thought-provoking and uh, no doubt controversial episode uh, with my friend, number one technology analyst on the planet, the author of the smash hit Disrupting Digital Business and the founder of Constellation Research, Ray Wong. Yep, he's back. And um, we've had some pretty controversial episodes, uh, and this one's going to be right up there because Ray shares his thoughts on how he thinks the coronavirus really got started, its impact on society, and why uh, we better be ready for a new normal and a whole lot more. This is a fantastic, thought-provoking dialogue. It might even be upsetting to some, I don't know, but it's fascinating. We are sponsored by my good friends at Oracle NetSuite. In challenging times, it's critical to have real, up-to-date facts and information about your business, particularly your financial business, and visibility and control matter like never before. That's why NetSuite is number one in cloud ERP. NetSuite is the one unified management business suite encompassing all of your ERP, financials, CRM, and e-commerce. And NetSuite is used by over 20,000 organizations around the world. Because with NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business. To schedule your free product tour right now and to get your guide, the seven key strategies to grow your profits, visit netsuite.com slash different. That's netsuite.com slash different. And um, my friends at Splunk are the global leaders in data to everything. As in D to E. Splunk brings data to every question, decision, and action. And organizations around the world rely on Splunk to modernize and strengthen their cyber defenses. Splunk is used by some of uh, the world's most sophisticated organizations to monitor, detect, respond, and resolve digital security threats. Visit splunk.com slash D2E, as in the number two, to learn how to turn data into doing. That's splunk.com slash D2E. And also, if you're in the technology business and, you're, and or you're fascinated by all things technology and internet, then I want to introduce you to one of my top five favorite podcasts, Grumpy Old Geeks, with my friend Jason DeFilippo and Brian Schulmeister. These guys are awesome. And um, they have also probably the best tagline in the uh, podcast world. I, if I got it right, it's something like Grumpy Old Geeks for uh, what went wrong on the internet this week and who's to blame. Check out GOG.show or Grumpy Old Geeks wherever you get legendary podcasts. Go to Lockhead.com for the show notes on this episode. And now, hey-ho, let's go. weeks. I think that'd be a great idea. Let's go do that. Right. But we have like some people doing four weeks and some people going out and say, ah, oh, don't worry about it. Or other people, I mean, everyone's got to come to some agreement that says, guys, next time a pandemic occurs, 
everyone shuts down for four weeks, six weeks. We're all in it. That's it. We shut down. We take, bite the bullet and we see what happens. Uh, based on transmission rates, this one should be two weeks. Based on transmission rates, this one will be eight weeks. And, and that will be the public health response going forward. Or we run a cost-benefit analysis that says, okay, yeah, it looks like 0.1% of you guys are going to get it. We do massive testing in a region like South Korea, and we discover that the fatality rate is 0.6. Uh, U.S. population is 330 million people. Uh, okay, 0.6. That might happen to 0.6. Do we have hospital capacity? Let's make sure we take care of all the folks, build up hospital capacity, ICU beds, and let's make sure we have enough respirators and everything else that we need to solve this. And we know we're going to bite the bullet, but we're going to save trillions of dollars in economic costs. That's compassionate and logical at the same time. And so is that sort of the, I don't know, you tell me how you want me to think about it, the uh, architecture of thinking going forward for dealing with a reality that this might be a very regular thing now? I think it's going to be a regular thing. It probably always was. We just didn't hit anything like this. You know, the bad news, it's super viral. The good news is it's not as deadly as it would have been. Otherwise, you'd have like, I mean, look, if it was really 0.6% in China and one, I don't trust their numbers. Nobody trusts their numbers, right? They'd be burning bodies of half a million people for all the number of people that's going on, right? I mean, that number of people that are exposed. Like, we don't really have the numbers yet. We're not going to know because of, we only know because of all the other regions that are publicly reporting their numbers. The U.S. will probably have the most accurate data. Yeah. The thing that we do know, regardless of what the percentage of people it kills is, it, is it's killing a lot of people. I mean, when you see hospitals, uh, you see morgues that can't take any more people in Italy, like it's it, a regular flu season or even, I, I don't know, you tell me if I'm misremembering SARS or H1N1 or DOG or FART or whatever ones we've had in the past. We didn't see morgues turning people away. We didn't see the hospital systems collapsing. No, 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 we didn't. We didn't see that level of, of collapse, right? Right. But in, in a bad in a bad year, right? If you look at the 2019, 2020 flu season in the US, right, we had 15 million cases, right, of the flu. Right? 140,000 hospitalizations and 8,200 deaths. We can handle 140,000 hospitalizations over 8 to 10 weeks. That's not a bad that's not an issue. Right? This, it's the surge in hospitalizations that occur all at once. We can't handle 140,000 hospitalizations, you know, a week, right? That that would just blow up the entire entire healthcare bed capacity. And is that, an, is that an, a re, another reason you think we're overreacting? You think we can actually handle more than we think we can handle? No, I don't think we were prepared to handle any of this in terms of, right? I mean, look, if you were, go, if you were to go back and, and, and see what happened in about January, the Chinese Communist Party, I'll say it that way, as opposed to the Chinese government or Chinese citizens, right? The Communist Party basically showed up and said, hey, we've got a little problem. There's this thing called uh, a coronavirus. Don't worry about it. We don't think there's human-to-human transmission, right? At that point in time, I mean, we don't know how many that people- That was in January, right? It was in January. In January, you know, like people are at Davos. Oh, it's great. We're worried about Greta. Hey, we're worried about all this other stuff. I'm like, guys, we have a pandemic. It's about to happen. And people are like, oh, no, no, that's not happening. I'm like, but, but look at China. This is ridiculous. Like, even if those numbers are, are like, are, are accurate, you're going to have this huge issue. And a lot of people were looking at this. A lot of people were saying, contain, shut down all travel in and out of China. If they had done that, we wouldn't be here today. Right. Like someone just sent a bill to China at the end of the day. And, and it's probably not blame game time, but that's how you contain a crisis. We contain that for mirrors. We contain that with H1N1. We've contained that with other flus in the past. 
So you think there's a chance this thing could have been held down in China? Oh, it could have been held down if they would have let the U.S. CDC in there. The, you know, the WHO was complicit in not letting U.S. people to go in there study see what happened. And then that gets into the tinfoil hat conspiracy theories that people don't really want to talk about as, hey, can a dual use bioweapons lab virology institute? Was there something going on there? Maybe, maybe not. Right. Well, we'll find out in the future. Right. But that's not the point. The point is this could have been contained. Okay. So short of containment, right? If the rest of the world would have contained all travel to China, think about Northern Italy. Like there's so many Chinese people living there because the Chinese literally bought out the, the Italian fashion industry. So, so of course these folks are like, Oh my God, Toronto bias in China. Let's go run over to Italy. Is that really what happened? A ton of, a bunch of Chinese folks left China and got out of Dodge and, and went to Italy. Is that what, is that how it happened? Yeah, welcome to the Belt and Road Initiative with China. You are part of the Belt and Road. Let's just go. Let's get everyone out there, right? Wow. A- Africa, Africa's in the same boat, right? But maybe this chloroquine, trichloroquine thing like actually works, right? These guys have been fighting malaria for you, years. We'll find out, you know? Now, you have some interesting potential theories of how this thing got started, and you've been taking a lot of heat on Twitter and social media uh, for beginning <laughs> to voice some... Uh, let's just call them provocative theories. So where are you on your thinking about how this got started and what's going on here? I've talked to a lot of individuals and high up in the Chinese scientific community. They can't use WeChat. They can't text. They can't do stuff. And um, it sounds like nothing was intentional. I think that's the first thing. Nothing was nefarious. Nothing was intentional for a spread. Right. A lot of countries are working on virology programs that are dual use, could be used as bioweapons, just like we're working on nuclear energy. Don't worry about that. Right. So um, a lot of people are working on virology programs. And it turns out that apparently there was a program. Apparently, I say this very carefully, and this may happen one day and might not. But apparently there's a program where the Chinese were showing off what they were doing in virology. Um, it was an eight-week program, and five weeks into the program, they kicked out some of the participants. I won't name all the countries, but some countries were there. Something may have gone wrong with the safety protocol in October and November. Um, that infected the wet market. A lot of theories have been about that. A lot of people have said, oh, no, the that's not market? true. It's called the wet market. It's where you buy and trade wild animals. Let's say we go out and hunt venison or we go hunt you know, bats or we go hunt snakes and we want to trade food. And maybe there's some medicinal Chinese medicinal property in bat venom or snake venom that's being used to make you more, I don't know, healthy or virile or whatever you want to do with that stuff. Right. That market has been the biggest place of contagion for all types of flus. And, and that's been uh, hypothesized that, you know, something leaked in, a safety protocol was broken in the virology lab, it spread, right? Nobody wanted to talk about it because, you know, there was a dual use lab and what happens, it spread. Now, if you're a government, you don't want to hurt your own people either. So the Chinese weren't trying to hurt their own people, but it's like, hey, we got Chinese New Year's, we got holidays, we got Christmas, let's not screw with it, right? Even then they were having large gatherings. So today, what actually is happening is, of course, they're trying to cover up for that you know, they're like, oh, well, we can help you with masks or we can help you with ventilators. But but there is a cover up here somewhere. And and someone has to really go look at this, this to, to establish and see if this is a true cover up, if this was unintentional or how this all occurred. At some point, people will figure that out. So I just want to make sure that I understand what you're saying. There was some eight week program back in the September, October timeframe, you'll tell me, in a virology lab with mm-hmm. multiple countries involved and something went wrong. There was a breach of protocol 
and the virus that they were fooling around with or experimenting with or whatever that it was they were doing got into a wet market, maybe a bat, you'll tell me, we've been told it's a bat, and somehow went to animals and then jumped onto humans. Is that what you just said? That is correct. And what I'll do is I'll go a little bit deeper just in case folks are actually researching it so they understand that I know what I know and and that they might go deeper in and do the investigation. Hopefully nobody gets killed or is missing. I'll leave it at that. So there's a virology institute uh, administered by the Chinese Academy of Sciences. It's called Wuhan. It's a BSL, biosafety level four, which means they're doing some nasty, nasty stuff, right? Um, and so there is something in what they did with this bat venom. They've been basically talking, hey, check this out. We can insert something into bat venom into a way of deploying uh, and manipulating a bat virus. Right. And so something happened there uh, and someone basically might have had it with them. They were asymptomatic. They carried it. They went into the wet market. Maybe a few people did that and something spread. When you say carried it, do you mean had the infection or had it in a briefcase and they tripped on a sidewalk and spilled the <laughs> spilled this shit on a bat like well, what do you mean i don't think it's even as nefarious as that I, I think they basically had it they were in the labs they didn't have their own safety protocols maybe they didn't wash down they got it into the general population right a bat may have picked it up because it's part of the bat genome and that spread in its own little way created a pool i mean these are all things that are theoretical so there's a virology lab and they're fucking around with bat venom for some reason. Bat genomes, bat genomes, bat genomes. I thought you said venom, but maybe, you know what? I meant this genomes, whole thing is so. starting to sound like a, yeah, you probably said genome, but I heard venom because <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, because we're living in a goddamn crazy movie genome. So they're fooling around with the bat genome, something, they bump into something and whatever whatever it is gets them sick and then they walk out and then they go and they to infect other people. They infect other people. They go to their local market or whatever they, they go do whatever they do and all of a sudden ba boom. Yeah. I think it's as simple as that. I don't think anyone was deliberately trying to kill anyone. They fucked up playing around with a bat genome and they didn't have the have the right safety protocols and they got something as a result and they unknowingly spread it. You think that's a a, a plausible scenario? That is a plausible scenario, plausible theory. Been talking to a lot of people about this who are, whether they're in, you know, the intelligence world or whether they're in the Chinese scientific community or other biologists, right? And so, so people are like, look, this is naturally occurring, right? So you saw the Scripps guys that said, we sequenced the genes. It's naturally occurring. This wasn't a man-made virus. There's probably some truth to it. It could be a naturally occurring sequence that might be a little bit manipulated. You can't tell because the bat genome's huge. It is a huge genome, right? So fine, but that's not the point. I don't think it was an intentional thing, but what was intentional was covering it up. And that's what's costing the world. So it's fine. People have virology labs all over the world. They're dual use. People have nuclear nuclear energy labs all over the world that are dual use, right? It's just, did you take the right safety protocols? And and this is one mm-hmm. of those things where I think a safety protocol accident occurred and now the rest of the world is dealing with it and now are you are you getting this information from alex jones or <laughs> I, actually i don't even laugh i don't even know alex jones i had to look that up so i was like oh what are you talking about oh but hey i can bring out tinfoil hats but, but you get my yeah, point right it's no, not there are conspiracy but... theorists in in the U- u.s but you say you're talking to people senior folks in china about this in in the medical community in the scientific community 
these are the these are the senior folks. They're in their seventies. They're scientists. They're like like we've known this for years. It's kind of like it's kind of like someone explained to me like when we all knew that you know Lance Armstrong was doping, but no one ever talked about it, and how the Tour de France was like one big doping pit. People are like, oh no, that would never happen. Like this is the shock, right? That that people will have to hear and, and get used to. But you know, people can think I'm I'm way out there for saying that. It's just that if you talk to the science community in China, the ones that can still talk, uh, that's what they will tell you. No, and as I've been telling friends that you have this theory, people they go, "What? Nah, conspiracy theory and all." That. I'm like, "Yeah, I, I get it, but Ray is legitimately in in the parlance of our times uh, one of the smartest guys I know. So if he's saying this stuff, I mean, maybe he's gone nuts. I don't know, um, <laughs> but it's possible. Uh, what was it? Uh, Charles Rukowski said something about there's a, he's got a great quote about how he feels bad for people who never go crazy because, you know, they don't get to experience going crazy. So I don't know. But all that said, you are one of the smartest guys I know. And if if you think this, you probably think this for a reason, which is why I wanted to have this conversation. Well, I, I want people to know, like, I mean, because the only way for this to work is when the world walks back and says, okay, this was a legitimate accident. It wasn't anyone's fault. This wasn't like a targeted bioweapons program. Because that's like, oh my God, they're, they're running biowarfare against us, right? That's not the thing. You, we have to ratchet things down a little bit more. And when we ratchet it down, we say, look, this could happen anywhere in the world that has a virology program. A virus gets released into the world and people get sick. Okay, so we get that. Safety protocols might not have been the best. So we have to get to that level of emotion first, right? Other than, oh my God, they're attacking us. No, they're not. We all have virology programs. Fine. Then we get to this point where the logic is, okay, so they didn't inform us early enough. That is the heart of the problem. If we ever have a pandemic again, what would the pandemic playbook look like, right? When do we notify countries? When do we like deassign risk and blame? When do we actually marshal resources to help people? Can we get a cooperative environment around the world that collaborates and says, oh my God, China's in trouble. Let's help contain them, bring folks in and help them. The Chinese government, of course, or the Russian government probably wouldn't want us in there as well because, you know, the perception of us, but at least go get the French or like Swiss or Italians or Germans that come help you, right? And, and actually figure out what's going down on the ground and get it done right so that the rest of the world doesn't get sick, right? So it, it has to come down to that, right? But right now, in order to save face, no one's going to say, you know, like, oh, no, it was, an, it was our fault, right? They can't. The, the political and climate is so hard. And so it's, it's really about thinking about it in that way. And that's why I really wanted to go down this because in my public health, you know, like I'm, I'm going to use my public health degree like in, in any real sense in 20 years, right? But the point being is like your public health principles still apply. And so is this the Chernobyl of virology? Is that sort of what we're seeing here? I, I think Netflix will have a winner. Someone needs to go buy the rights. This is like, uh, I mean, and I think this is why so many of us are, you know, getting whacked by this thing. It is like watching so many of these these Hollywood movies that we've seen play out, right? And it, 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 and yeah, and it brings up so many questions. And so uh, it is, a, and it is a bizarre shared experience. It's happening globally. It's happening to all of us at the same time. This is the all-time best and worst reality show. Right. I mean, we are living in the middle of this. And, and, and a lot of this is happening because of few things. One, we don't trust our institutions. We don't trust the media. And we're in an election cycle here in the U.S. Around the world, it's the same thing. People are in highly charged, highly political environments. Right. And, you know, I, you know, you hope a pandemic brings people closer together. At this point, it's pulling us farther apart. And, and, and that that is scary in itself. Right. This is the place where 
you know, you have, we have to be very, very careful about helping people manage that panic, manage that fear. Um, and, and I honestly hope that, you know, people marshal the resources, get to the facts so that we can communicate what's really going on, what's happening and, and how people are being impacted. Right. In Italy, you'll see that. Like, it, it's kind of like those things where you see that, that one poor, uh, you know, experience that people have. And then you visualize that as the brand of every company, right? You know, you visualize, oh, here's this, this person had a bad experience, which means every experience is bad. We've, we've gotten to that point where we, we overreact on small parts of data. We need to see the larger piece to see what's going on. And, and no one's trying to explain that in the media yet. I mean, they're starting to. I mean, you saw the call for um, cost-benefit analysis in the Wall Street Journal opinion and editorial yesterday, which really shocked me. They finally put something out there, um, and, and I'm sure they're getting a lot of hate mail for it. But it's the rational argument we're trying to make here, which is it's compassionate or more compassionate, actually, to take a longer view of the situation. Well, and that would mean what? Um, it would mean, look, we can't, we're not going to be able to shut down the entire economy f- for six weeks, eight weeks, maybe 12 weeks. Maybe we can do it for six to eight weeks. If we go past 16 weeks and take out a whole quarter, right, to contain the virus, will there be anyone left? <laughs> with, <laughs> will there be any economy left to go to if you survive, right? right? And remember, there's 99% of the people that are going to survive. That's utilitarian argument again. They're, they're fi- someone, someone had a different point of view, right? So, And so that says uh, Ray thinks we're overreacting. I think we're overreacting, but I also agree to have an abundance of cautions. Those are not mutually exclusive points. The abundance of caution is we don't know what this virus can do long term. So it's good to be safe. On the other hand, we have to assign a time frame where we say at some point we cut loose and say this is ridiculous. Like if we're 24 weeks into this and it's like if we're July and we're still in containment, uh, I don't think that's going to be realistic. Right. Unless there's something we discover. I mean, I've read people talking about 12 to 18 months. It's going to be with us every year. There's going to be a coronavirus season, just like we have an HXNX season. I think we just we need to accept that. There will be other coronaviruses. There, there's some other coronaviruses at, at this point, right, that are still in your body that you didn't even know about it. Right. So there's other types. That's why COVID-19, SARS, COV2. I mean, that's the technical name. You know, there's more than one type of coronavirus and they keep mutating anyways. And so this is just a new reality of life. We're going to have these things on a increasing, uh, at an increasing rate. I, I will say this multiple times, folks. Um, this We're going to have other types of infectious diseases like flus, like coronaviruses that come through our shores, um, not because of you know anyone's fault. Uh, nature is mutating, right? It's part of the natural process. It's part of nature. Um, and you know we just have to be more sensible in how we respond to these things. And maybe we're being very sensible right now and making sure that nobody gets it till we get a vaccine, which is great. Um, tell me the same thing 16 weeks from now when you're out of a job. People are looting in the streets. Uh, you know, people are depressed. Um, they're isolated, uh, and you know, there's no economy to go to, and all you see is bad news. Like, I, I, is that better? I'm, I'm asking a legitimate question. I'm not telling you to take a side. Is that better? It looks like we're going to find out, doesn't it? Yeah, we are. We are. I mean, and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm optimistic because we're humans. We will self, we will course correct in our own self interest at some point, right? Right now, our self interest is driven by fear. Our self interest in preservation will be once we get past the fear part. We'll be like, oh my god, that might not be a really good idea. Let's go fix this. We, maybe we have some time to save the economy, right? And and people are making long term bets, right? I mean. 
the way the monetary, making sure there's no credit in the system, wait, making sure that we have enough credit uh, facilities, making sure that, you know, we're looking at paychecks, handing out stuff to people. I mean, you know, making sure that, you know, we're covered, making sure healthcare is available, making sure we're producing the right equipment. I mean, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. It's much better than it was four weeks ago. You know, it's interesting. I, I heard the um, the CEO of NASDAQ on the radio a couple of days ago. And one of the questions she got asked was, um, you know, is there any discussion about shutting down the markets? And she had a what I thought was an incredibly compelling point of view around why that would be absolutely the wrong thing to do, that liquidity, access to capital and the capital markets and the financial markets broadly, um, we need to keep them working. And yes, there's safety uh, mechanisms in there to try to sort of calm down panic when it happens, but it would create a lot more panic if all of a sudden the stock market wasn't there. And, um, you know, you think about a run on the banks and, and liquidity and access to capital in all of its forms for, for big business and small business. Like, we want to keep these things functioning, don't we? We, we do. Adina's got a point, right? Adina's got a point on the NASDAQ. Stacey Cunningham said that as well on the New York Stock Exchange. Both of them, very, very articulate leaders, are saying, guys, this doesn't make any sense. We got to keep these markets moving. And that's right. We've got circuit breakers. We've got policy models in there, um, and, and I think that those make sense. Um, I, look, this, this is one of those things where we haven't had a debate about how this should fall out, and we've only had one point of view, talking points, and other point of view on the other hand. But, but I think if people get together and sit and debate the issues, I'm sure it's happening in the, the war room and the emergency response center at FEMA where they're debating all this and trying to figure out what makes sense. Right. But but I think if you were to listen to the debates, understand the logic behind it, that would also help people um, get to that whatever conclusion they're going to get to. Look, this is a serious disease. This is something we're going to face again in the future. The comment I always say is the proportionality of response there, right? You know, and people hate the flu season analogy. So, but I just say, look, if there was a disease that infected 40 million Americans, put 400,000 people into hospitals and killed 40,000 people a year and had a vaccine, would you react this way? And, and people are like, oh my God, yes, definitely. We do this. We'd have to do this at all costs. And then I tell them it's the flu, it's influenza B. And they're like, oh, well, you know, that's different. It's the flu. It doesn't matter what infectious disease. We should have a proportionality of response based on how viral is this? How likely is this going to kill you? Which is case fatality. Virality is the transmission. And, you know, what's the proportionality of response? Like, what would you do for 40,000 people a year? Would you shut down the economy? No. We don't. We've never done that. Would you shut down the economy for 100,000 people a year? Okay, maybe for two weeks. Would you shut it down if a million people were invited? In fact, yes, maybe for four weeks or eight weeks. That's what I want to get to. If we can have that discussion, then we'd actually have a better view of what cost-benefit analysis we're at. That's not cold. That's actually much more compassionate going forward because we're saying, oh my God, we want to save more people, not at the expense of a few people, and we can save more people this way in the long run. Or once again, take the public health response. Let's go at it. All costs, society is willing to take that risk. You're going to make your sacrifice and let's go do it. You know, let's go team. I'm, I'm okay either way. I just think we haven't had the conversation. That's why I'm a provocateur. I love it. And it is a very provocative thing to talk about a cost benefit analysis uh, around a virus that, of course, is killing people. But with, with but no data. Point with it, no data. <laughs> so. Well, that, yes. And I think this is the thing. 
right? In, in terms of flus, uh, influenzas, et cetera, that we understand. In some cases, we have vaccinations for. They change every year and all that. But listen, I get my fucking flu shot and I think it seems to work. I don't know. I'm not a doctor. I, I, I don't have your education. But I think the thing that's got, the thing that feels different is this feels more viral. Uh, this feels like it's having a higher death rate, although to your point, we don't really know how many people have it. So it's impossible to know what that number is, that ratio is. And then the other thing, of course, that we've come to find out, <laughs> this is sort of why it's like a spooky demon, right? It's like, well, you can have it, have no symptoms and spread it to other people and not even know you're doing that. Yep. Yep. That is, that is the scary thing, right? And and I think that's that's what people don't realize. But we do that with the flu. I mean, people spread the flu all the time. People don't clean their hands. They pick up stuff. They double dip in, at the buffet, right? I mean, they sneeze, cough, pick, and open a door. Like, we've had this for a while, right? So, I mean, just to put things into, you know, so people have some level of understanding of, like, what average number of deaths by cause, right? I mean, cardiovascular disease is the highest. It's 176 Half of that is cancer, and then it's respiratory disease, right? You know, by the time we get to like the flus, we're we're talking to like some very, very much, much lower numbers of frequency of deaths, right? And and that's important. <laughs> so so if we'd fight cardiovascular disease this hard, it's the same thing, right? So I I'm not saying that to be cold. I'm just saying that's it. You know, proportionality response requires people to understand statistically what's likely to happen. And are you likely to be okay if you were to walk out this door tomorrow morning? Will you get run over by a car or will you get the flu or will you die from coronavirus? I, I think you're okay walking outside the door today. Wow. Well, that's a very provocative point of view. Uh, you're more likely to get hit and die in a car. You're more likely to get hit by a car. Well, actually, there's no cars out there right now. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. one of the great things, my frustration with idiots in the left-hand lane driving slowly not such a problem right now. No, there's no one driving. Like you shouldn't be out driving. You should be sheltering in place. I mean, I, I you know, look. I, I, Am I allowed to go for a drive? Can I drive up and down the coast if I don't get out of my car? Am I allowed to do that? I don't think so. Technically, because the stay order in the state that we live in, which is California, says just stay in your house, congregate, less than families of ten. You know, I, I just, you know, I look. I, I can get into some more provocative, fun, futuristic, snarky kind of stuff just for fun, so people don't get too excited about it. But all right, well, give me a little snarky stuff. So six weeks from now, you're going to be discriminated by body temperature. If you naturally run hot, I might not let you eat my restaurant. <laughs> let me put my futurist hat on right wow <laughs> i think this happens um, in las vegas so tuesday i'm getting i'm getting so this is this past tuesday uh i was getting lunch at a i won't name the restaurant but i was at getting a lot a chinese restaurant in las vegas and they have this awesome stuff with the noodles right they they hand pull the noodles they're al dente they make all this great stuff i get into the restaurant the guy hands me a Purell bottle, makes me wash my hands, like a scrub in. So I scrubbed in to eat. And then he sticks this temperature monitor on my forehead. And then he's like, oh, okay, you can come in. <laughs> it, it, now, this might seem futuristic to folks in, in the US and other countries that haven't experienced this, but this is normal operating procedure in Asia, right? You get in the, you get in the, you know, like you land in immigration and like some guy has this big shotgun. It looks like you're being flagged in for like driving too fast. It's kind of like a speed trap, you know? And they're like, you over here, right? And they pull you out. 
the public health efforts are amazing. You go to the U.S. airport, none of this happens. I'm like, you, how can this possibly be? We're in containment? Really? I so tend I to run hot. I, I tend to run hot. Good. We're going to discriminate against you hot people now. <laughs> just, I'm just making fun of it. But, but there's a wide range. Like I, I tested in at 95.5. The guy's like, oh, you're running cold. I'm like, yeah, you know, maybe I have the chills. <laughs> I was messing with them. But the point being, I was like, look. You're lucky they didn't arrest you. Oh, it's, it's Tuesday. It was before the lockdown in Las Vegas. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you give more speeches than anybody uh, on the planet, I think. How many speeches do you give in an average year, right? I probably do about a hundred speeches a year. So we'll do like, you know, yeah. 10 to 20 pro bono and, and 80 paid keynotes. And, but we go to about 220 events a year. So I'm, I'm happy with the time home. Like I'm in the middle of writing a new book. So it's, it's got picked up. I won't say who until it's officially signed, but it's picked up and it's going to be interesting. And when do you think we see the new book in, in the market? When are, you, when are you joining me for a podcast on the new book? Summer 2021. We're going to be talking about data-driven digital networks digital duopolies and extreme capitalism. Uh, I, I can't wait. <laughs> all right, Ray, is there anything else you want to talk about as it relates to what we're all dealing with right now? Any other provocative ideas you have? I actually do, right? I, I, look, this is an all awesome time uh, in the next four weeks. It's a very, very scary for folks, but it's an awesome time for you to reconnect with people you haven't talked to in a while. We spend most of our time, I mean, you, if you look and analyze your day, how it was like two weeks ago versus how it is like today, you'll notice some interesting changes. You're not spending an hour or two on commutes. Um, you're not wasting time sitting in endless, useless meetings of people droning on that really aren't producing anything and wasting your time, right? You have uh, time to actually sit and think Take that time to sit and think and go figure out what good you can go do, right? Whether it's, you know, help a neighbor on the outside that can't get to toilet paper at a Costco. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's one of the big things going on. Like help someone around you, check in with people, have a buddy system, talk to folks you haven't talked to in a while, spend some time with the relatives, like, you know, your family, your parents, your kids, if they're still alive, like your loved ones, right? It, it's a great time, you know? So in, in times of crisis, you know, take advantage of this time to think, don't panic, um, you know, it'll get resolved. Someone will figure it out. There are other people that are much smarter, brighter in charge of these things than we are, but, but don't let the fear set in and be productive. I love it, Ray. You're awesome. You're, you're thoughtful, you're provocative, and, uh, I'm glad we're friends and, um, I look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Thank you, yeah, brother. Stay safe. Hunker down. Stay safe. Too. What is it? Shelter in place. And, uh, don't worry about it. Well, there he is legendary Ray Wong. I hope you enjoyed that conversation and uh, thought it was fun and thought-provoking. We would like to thank Ray himself. Thank you so much. Uh, you can check him out at constellationr.com. That's constellationr.com. Also, um, he and his partner, Vala Afshar, who's been on this podcast, episode uh, 116, that's 116. Uh, the two of them uh, regularly do this awesome thing called con uh, called uh, Disrupt TV. Check out constellationr.com slash disrupt. Uh, my friends at onelifefullylive.org, they are the nonprofit helping you dream, plan, and live your best life. The number one lifefullylive.org. Uh, now's the time to uh, get focused on selling. Uh, my friends at Spiro.ai are there to help you. It's the sales app for salespeople who want to drive more business. Check out Spiro.ai. Also want to thank the good folks at Squadcast. Check out Squadcast.fm. This is the remote platform for professional podcasters, and it's what we use here. 
Speaking of podcasts, my friends at Interview Valet are the leaders in podcast interview marketing. To get your leading thoughts on some leading podcasts, check out interviewvalet.com. And the good folks at Otranet have been building B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. Check out atre.net. That is visit atre.net today. And the wonderful people at Donors Choose are supporting teachers and students in classrooms around the United States. Visit donorschoose.org. All right, I need to remind you that this podcast is uh, really only for people who value real different conversations and is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. We are never tested on GMOs and all rights do remain perturbed. I must warn you that the creators of this podcast have probably been consuming libations. We are produced by the legendary Jason DeFilippo, uh, Jamie J and Sarah Knox on technical awesomeness, <laughs> Lockhead.com and more. Show notes by Diane Gervasio. Uh, listen to Blue Rodeo, support your local businesses, thank uh, your all of our retail folks and uh, our healthcare heroes. There's a lot of amazing people doing incredible things right now, and uh, I sure uh, I'm grateful. Uh, spread podcasts, not viruses. Thank you, Candy Dandy. I love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our deepest apologies go out to Senator Richard Burr. Sorry, Dick, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Thank you for investing part of your life with us. Stay healthy, uh, be kind to each other, stay legendary, and of course, follow your difference.